how would you define success? <clears throat> Think most of us would like to be successful in life? Yes? So how would you define success? Um, maybe if uh, for you success would be to improve your financial situation, uh, to accumulate a more significant nest egg, shall we say, then uh, you might be interested in, a, in an article in a recent Money Magazine, How to Retire 10 Years Early. Maybe that would be success for you. Uh, or maybe success for you is a certain waist size or dress size. Um, and so for you, uh, success would be to find the, the perfect dietary balance that enables you to achieve that waist size or dress size. If you're not married, maybe for you, success would, would be to find that one person uh, to be married, to spend your life with. And that is kind of the, the pursuit uh, of your life right now, and Match.com is your favorite website. <laughs> How do you define success? How would you define success? Maybe uh, if you tend to be like me or wired like me where uh, you've battled stress a good portion of your life, maybe the elimination of stress and the lowering of your blood pressure uh, a few points would be the ultimate success for you, in which case you're looking for that balance of diet and exercise. How would you define Success. That's what we're asking this morning. Father, the ancient words that we just sung about, ever true, changing me, changing you. May they change our hearts this morning. And we ask along with the psalm writer that uh, you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of us who desire success, if you desire success, the Bible contains uh, a handbook, I might call it, for those who do indeed desire success, and it's called the book of Proverbs. I'd like to invite your attention there, if you uh, if you have a Bible with you, or we're going to put uh, most of the verses right up here on the uh, PowerPoint. But in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 and 15, it says this, Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. No matter what your idea of success is, no matter how you answered that question, the book of Proverbs says no matter what you desire, the greatest acquisition you can ever make in life is to gain wisdom. I think you probably know, most of us know, that most of the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the book of First uh, Kings chapter 4 and verse 32 says that Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs in his lifetime. Uh, it's kind of the books, uh, the books, the Bible's book of common sense, if I could call it that. And the desire, Solomon's desire, and the desire of the book is to provoke us to think. Okay? <laughs> think. Even when it's painful. Think, think, think. In that sense, I guess, it's a little bit like the parables of our Lord. He, he intentionally did it to provoke thought. As You know, as believers, we ought, to be, we ought to be the best thinking people on the planet. We really should. Uh, the theme of the book of Proverbs is wisdom. As a matter of fact, either the word wise or the word wisdom is used 130 times throughout the book. That's roughly one in every seven Proverbs, one in every seven uh, verses contains the words wise or the words wisdom. I'm going to ask two basic questions this morning. Number one, what is wisdom? And number two, how do you get it? First, what is wisdom? 
Paul, notice uh, the very first chapter, the first seven verses. Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. <clears throat> what I'm gonna, what I wanna pick out here is I believe that there are five elements or maybe characteristics of, of what wisdom really is. Five elements that make up wisdom, if I could put it that way, and they're all contained in those first seven verses. You ready? Number one, instruction. Instruction. And all Solomon means by that is the wise man must be willing to learn. Uh, I can remember when Janine and I were students at Dallas Seminary, Dr. Howard Hendricks used to say, men and women, the day that you stop learning, you stop teaching. You must, if you're going to be a teacher, you must be a lifelong learner. And that's part of wisdom, says Solomon, instruction that a person who is wise will always be a learner, always be teachable is a word we like to use. Secondly, understanding. That is, the wise man must be discerning. Uh, the wise man or woman is a person who's able to see beneath the surface of things, to look through problems and situations and people and sort of identify uh, the core of the matter. Uh, not easily duped, or uh, as we might say in our culture, the wise person is not an easy person to get over on, right? Instruction, understanding. Then three elements together, justice, judgment, and equity. Uh, the NIV translates this as right and just and fair. And what it essentially means is the wise man must be a moral man or woman. There is a tendency in our world, and I would even say uh, in our country in general, to try to separate uh, the intellectual from the ethical, uh, to, to try to remove morality from reason and from science and to label it as nothing more than an emotion. Uh, as a movement, it might be called positivism uh, or empiricism. But let me give you a, a little bit of a practical illustration of what I'm talking about. Uh, not too many years ago, one of the presidents of our country was caught up in a sex scandal. And what happened there, and it's not my desire to pick on this person, because frankly what happened, it, any one of us is capable of. But what happened in the aftermath, for me personally, was more disturbing or as disturbing as the actual event. And that is, this president and his supporters said that his moral actions should have nothing to do with his office as president, that his moral conduct is in no way related to his ability to carry out the duties and the responsibilities of president. 
Can I suggest to you that that kind of thinking is completely antithetical to the Bible? And particularly for our purposes here this morning, completely antithetical to the book of Proverbs. According to Proverbs, the wise man is of necessity a moral man. He can't judge justly unless he lives justly. He can't think right unless he also lives right. And as you go through the book, you see that these two words in Proverbs are constantly tied together. Righteousness, wisdom. Righteousness and wisdom. Again and again. Fourthly is discretion. Discretion. That is, the wise man must plan carefully. Uh, if you, <clears throat> This word, as a matter of fact, discretion in verse 4, uh, literally means to formulate a strategy. Uh, it can be used, obviously, in the negative sense of scheming. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we know from the book of Genesis, don't we, that there is such a thing as diabolical intelligence, diabolical planning and scheming. Uh, but Proverbs says the wise man plans carefully, even brilliantly, but always, always, always controlled by the moral side of wisdom. Fifthly and lastly is the word knowledge. <clears throat> knowledge. That is, the wise man is passionate about life. In our world, uh, knowledge, uh, wouldn't you agree, is a, can be a very objective thing. Uh, in the age of the Internet, it's, it seems to be uh, sort of the, just the gathering of facts or the, the availability of information. But, but not so in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the, the verb form of this word, knowledge, is often used, frequently used, as you probably know, uh, to speak of sexual intimacy in marriage. So the wise man uh, is not some cold, detached, uh, uncaring spectator in life. He's passionate. She's passionate about life. Intentionally, emotionally, and deeply involved in life. And knows that life is brief, life is precious, and the wise person wants to make the most of it. So let's combine these five attributes. A teachable intelligence, a discerning intelligence, a morally upright intelligence, a careful planning intelligence, and a passionate Intelligence. If you put these five things together, you have a pretty good idea of what the book of Proverbs calls wisdom. That's what wisdom is, according to the book itself. Question number two, probably the tougher one, how do you get it? How do you get it? Notice uh, chapter 8, Proverbs 8, verses 1 through 5. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Um, you know, when I, uh, when you go to Israel, 
And notice I said when, not if. Every believer should at some point in their life, I think, visit the Holy Land. But when you go to Israel, you'll notice that the, the ancient part of the city is, is still a walled fortress, literally. And there are gates on every side. Um, in 1992, when I was studying at the Institute of Holy Land Studies, uh, which is on the very south end of the ancient city, every morning we would walk up to Jaffa Gate, and the gates are huge. The walls are roughly, say, 20 feet high, maybe a little higher, uh, and the gates are huge. They would take up most of this, probably this entire uh, platform. And they would open the gates in the morning, and all of the vendors sort of jockey for position, you know? Why? Because they know that everybody coming in or out of the city has got to go right past, got to go through that gate. So they want to be in a position to hawk their wares. We used to go up and get this stuff. Um, it was a bread, and I've never yet tasted anything quite like it. It was an oval, uh, not a circle, sort of an oblong oval, uh, and it had these little seeds on it. We used to call it racetrack bread because it was the shape of a racetrack kind of. A racetrack, getting racetrack bread and a can of 7-Up first thing in the morning. And I'm telling you, this is the most delicious bread that I've ever, ever had in my life. But here's the idea. When, when Proverbs tells us here that wisdom is calling out, standing at the gate, just like the sellers of racetrack bread, standing at the gate, calling out to everyone who goes by. And when he calls out, Notice, wisdom is not calling out from the gates of Harvard or the gates of Yale or Oxford. Uh, not from the New York Stock Exchange or Wall Street uh, or Bank of America or Bank of the West. No. Proverbs, the wisdom, the voice of wisdom is not calling out from Beverly Hills or Beacon Hills or from the multi-million dollar homes out on out in Soda Creek. No, wisdom is calling from to everyone from the city gate where everyone must pass by in the course of day-to-day living. And they call out to rich. Wisdom calls out to rich and poor alike. To the scholar and the wise man as well as the foolish person. Here's the point, guys. Wisdom is available to everyone. So, How do you get wisdom? First of all, by realizing that it's available to all. And I know that there's a tremendous tendency in our country today. uh, There's there's a bifurcation going on, a separation like I've never seen in my lifetime at least, uh, between races, between uh, financial classes, rich and poor. And in some senses, it's tearing our country apart. But the biblical view of wisdom is it's available to everyone. If, number one, three things here. Number one, you need to seek wisdom with all of your heart. Seek wisdom with all of your heart. Notice chapter 4 and verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Notice uh, Solomon says, in all you're getting. Uh, We have a tendency in life, don't we, to accumulate things. Um. My wife and I have been building a house out in Evergreen West for the last year, uh, and we are right now in the process of actually moving into it. Uh, 
I thought we had weeded out most of our stuff when we moved here from the East Coast a year ago. But there's still so much stuff. There's so much, you know, we do so much getting in life. And Solomon knows that. And he's saying, listen, in all your getting, in all your accumulation of things, don't forget this most important thing. Get wisdom. We're all chasing something in life, but the most important thing to chase is chase wisdom. It's not a matter of IQ. It's not a matter of academic ability. It is a matter of the will. It has nothing to do with opportunity. It has everything to do with commitment. And I know that goes against the grains of our culture because, again, we're in this kind of culture war in our country between the haves and the have-nots and other ways. But the Bible's telling us here that if success is your goal, you will miss it. No, wisdom must be our goal. The pursuit of those inner qualities that we spoke of at the outset. Success comes as a byproduct of wisdom. So seek first the giver, wisdom, and then the gift, success, will be yours and will follow. Notice chapter 17 and verse 24. A discerning man keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Seeking wisdom, guys, means that we've got to, we've got to have a singular vision. We've always got to have our eye on this most important of all acquisitions in life, wisdom. Uh, if you've ever played baseball, everybody has heard this term. Keep your eye on the right. Keep your eye on the ball. And that's what Solomon's saying about wisdom. If you were uh, General John Buford on the eve of the Battle of Gettysburg, he said to his pickets, tomorrow morning, keep a clear eye. What he meant is you're to be looking for one thing and one thing only, the enemy. And Solomon's saying, as you go through life, there are many distractions, but as much as possible, as much as you're able, keep your eye on wisdom. Keep a clear eye, keep a good eye, and keep it on wisdom. That's the most important thing in life. And the sad thing is, do you ever, he says, he says, a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. You know, I, I have a friend I went to high school with, and I was talking uh, to a mutual friend recently, and I said, how's so-and-so doing? Oh, he, he got divorced. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's a painful thing. Uh, but then I found, I, I only knew of his first marriage. I found out that his third marriage just ended, and I said, well, is he still working at such and such? No, he, he lost his job there. He got fired. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, and he used, to, uh, he used to scuba dive with me a lot in New Jersey. I said, is he still scuba diving? Uh, no, he's actually into uh, uh, ultralights now. Which, first of all, bothers me. You ever see an ultralight? <laughs> to me, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm joking with Phil. I was telling him, I'm not a good flyer. But to me, this thing is nothing more than a kite with a motor on it, you know, and he's into flying around in these things. But here's the point with my friend. Ever since high school, he's one of these people who was, you know, last week he's in scuba diving. This Next week it's ultralights. The week after that it's golf. Uh, you know, then he's dating this person. Then he's dating that person. His eyes are on the ends of the earth. There is no focus, no vision, no clear vision in his life at all. And what Solomon is saying is, for, for us as believers seeking wisdom, there ought to always be a sense in which people look at our lives and say, 
that person, well, I don't know what it is about that person, but they, they're, they're kind of on a mission. It's like they know where they're going in life. If we're pursuing wisdom, then that will be the case. And don't let the good things in life, and all the things I mentioned, you know, that I love scuba diving. Love it. Haven't done it in quite a while, but I love it. Nothing wrong with hang gliding if, if you're into that, or even flying ultralights or whatever. But don't let the good things in life keep you from the best thing in life. Seek wisdom with all your heart. Number two, seek wisdom with humility. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And, and I think what Psalm is saying here, that there's a necessity of us always being aware of our own depravity. As I said when I talked about the former president, any one of us is capable of anything at any given point. We are all sinners, hopefully saved by the amazing grace of God, but still sinners. And there's a sense in which I always need to be aware of that. If I, if I could borrow a line from Robert Frost, all of us have miles to go before we sleep, don't we, in terms of sanctification, in terms of becoming more like Jesus. And there will be very sobering, very sad failures along the way. But with humility, we're able to say, Lord, I confess my wrong. I fell in a mud puddle, but I'm getting up and I'm going to keep on going. So seek wisdom with humility. Here's another verse, Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You see how essential humility is as we go through life? Proverbs 27 and verse 2, let another man praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. Humility, absolutely essential to wisdom. Proverbs 13 and verse 1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 13, 1. And then I love this next proverb. You want to know how to tell a wise person from a foolish person? Well, look what Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8 says. Do not correct a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you for it. Isn't that neat? You know, you rebuke somebody who's really foolish and all you've done is make an enemy. Perhaps a, a lifelong enemy. But... Rebuke, and that's kind of a strong word. Correct a wise man, and that assumes several things. It assumes you have a relationship. It assumes you correct rightly. It assumes you correct in love. But do it correctly. Rebuke, correct that wise man. He's going to love you for it. Because if, if we're truly, humbly seeking wisdom as believers, then we're going to want friends in our life. As I mentioned about my friend Mike. And Dave Stecker's taking over the new position out here. To tell me when I'm wrong. <laughs> Friends like that are precious. And I hope you all have one. Now, that doesn't mean that the wise person doesn't have some settled convictions that come with maturity. Sure, he or she does. But no prejudices. And always willing to learn. Thirdly and lastly, and probably most importantly of all... Seek wisdom in the spiritual realm. Seek wisdom in the spiritual realm. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
You know, the average person that you meet on the street says religious convictions have little or nothing to do with how wise or unwise you are. But again, the Bible shows us that a person's response to God is kind of key to everything else in life. Because it's the key to wisdom. Fear of the Lord isn't part of wisdom. Did you notice that? The verse doesn't say the fear of the Lord is part of wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom without which no additional wisdom at all is possible. It's the essential foundation. It's the essential cornerstone which must be in place before any other wisdom at all can be attained. And by the way, that that is why it is truly impossible, I believe, to educate our children apart from direct inference to God, apart from a Christian biblical worldview. I believe that. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever heard the name uh, B.F. Skinner, uh, but way back when, like back in the 1960s, I think was when he was kind of at the height of his popularity. B.F. Skinner was what was called a behaviorist. Um, he was a professor at Harvard University. Uh, in the 60s, he wrote a best-selling book called Beyond Freedom and Dignity. Uh, Skinner, obviously not sympathetic at all to Christianity, uh, agnostic as far as I'm aware, uh, but at one point, B.F. Skinner said this, and I thought it was profound. I, actually, I couldn't believe it came from his lips. B.F. Skinner once said, education is what we are left with when we've forgotten everything we learned. Isn't that interesting? Education is what we're left with when we've forgotten everything we've learned. And so, so we send our kids... To school, they go to chemistry lab and they find out that man's uh, just the product of organic reactions. Uh, they go to the biology class and they find out that man is the pro- chance product of animal evolution and uh, natural selection. They go to Western Civ class and they find out that man is nothing but the product of uh, cultural conditioning. They go to philosophy class and find out man's the product of nothing at all. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What are our kids who grow up in that system, what are they going to be left with when they've forgotten everything they learned? (laughs) No, no, no. The scripture is true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Of course it is, because God is the source of all wisdom. More than that, more than that, I want to suggest God is wisdom, capital W, himself. I want you to notice something now in Proverbs chapter 8. It gets very interesting here. So if you kind of checked out or zoned out on me, plug back in for just a minute. We're almost done. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 22. But I want you to notice something really neat here because wisdom begins to speak as a person. Uh, For those of you who are like my wife into English grammar, notice wisdom actually begins to speak in the first person. Proverbs 8, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was even or ever an earth. 
The personification of wisdom right here in Proverbs chapter 8. A thousand years before Christ. But I want to suggest to you that this chapter right here, this, these verses find their ultimate fulfillment in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And on one occasion, our Lord, uh, speaking of himself, said, Wisdom is vindicated by her children. Of course it is. Because you see, in the ultimate sense, wisdom is not a skill to be acquired, but it's a person to be trusted and welcomed into our lives. The person of Jesus Christ who is himself the very wisdom of God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I ask that you would make these ancient words that are forever true, that they would change us all from the inside out, make us different people. May they be real, may they be relevant, may they be life-transforming in the hearts of everyone here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.